Well, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're joined by special guests Warren and Larry. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Warren. Uh, I was on here last year for the same same conversation. Uh, so yeah, I'm back again. It's going to be great. And I'm Larry, and I'm uh, Buddy's Buddy, I guess. <laughs> New buddy. to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Yay. I'm sure we will drag you back to guest star in episodes because we do that all the time, just Yay. like we did with Warren. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars in this special Dispatch episode. But buddy, before you do that, before we do that, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, which for some reason is translating now to art house movies. Well, anyway... Um, there are, uh, we're going to focus on the Best Picture nominees because those are the ones that we wanted to, uh, that we wanted to talk about. Um, and I guess there's no reason not to jump right into it. Okay, going in alphabetical order because why not? Uh, the first, uh, the first Best Picture nominee for the Oscars is Call Me By Your Name, directed by Luca Guadagno or something uh an italian director this thing uh got a lot of got a lot of kind of traction uh coming out of like sundance and like the Cannes film festival and all these all these all uh prestigious film festivals and everything uh and it's the story about um two guys who fall in love with one another um, one of them is 17-year-old son of an archaeologist and the archaeologist's 24-year-old um, lab assistant as they are working in northern uh, as they're working in northern Italy. I saw this movie and then but I but I think only Mango saw the the saw it as well. Did you did Neither of you right? see it? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Did you did either of you see it, Ward or Larry? I haven't got to see it yet. Did not, did not. Okay. Right. So I know you have very strong feelings about this mango because you live tweeted this movie to me uh, in a yeah. private Facebook chat. <laughs> yeah, um, it's I so like the struggle to like get out of this is is like I, I just kind of don't get it like in, in a way that's like not like I I don't I just don't get why people think this is so great. Basically, nothing happens for two hours, and then. And then, uh, and, and then the father gives an inspiring speech, and th- that seems to be the whole movie. And like, it, it's like there's like no tension or plot, really. At, le- at least it felt like. I, I also, I also thought that the acting wasn't good. Right? Like, I, I don't. Understand. The acting is a big selling point. People are talking about Timothy Chalet. Um, they say that he was excellent in this. Uh, I don't really believe that hype, though. I would say that Michael Stuhlbarg, who's in like everything, he's in like three or four of these Oscar movies, um, and Army Hammer were both pretty great. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just everything felt wooden to me. Like it didn't feel like real people for a while like i, I think it, it got there eventually but the opening of the movie just felt so like like it, it felt so like stiff and and like un unrealistic and weird to me i honestly like i i don't mean to like you know shit on this movie but it felt it reminded me of the room a lot <laughs> um, like it, wait what it, it, that's, <laughs> that's kind of that's pretty yeah no, criticism I, I i so like the way that like um everything 
like like the, the pauses and like the 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 weird kind of staccato nature of the conversations and the way that like things just kind of like got held out and things seemed to happen for no reason that reminded me a lot of things from the room like the way that Tommy Wiseau's character works right like um like like the, the best example I can give you is there's a point where uh the grad students laying on the edge of a pool and he's talking to the uh talking to the kid and then he says something and he just like rolls into the pool and i'm like that's totally th- like like i i could just see like if tommy Wiseau wrote this movie this is exactly what he would have done here it's just like good you know like whatever and rolled into the pool and just like splashed around in the pool i i, I don't know it just it just I, I i don't get this movie and you know i'm willing to recognize that maybe i'm just missing something um but I, I just, I. So I will say that I think the movie was impeccably directed. Um, there are, there's a lot of really great cinematography in here. Mostly just like because it was shot on location in like, like you know, early summer in northern Italy, right? Like, yes, that's a. It, Tuscany is beautiful, you guys, right? Like, um, but there's also just like a lot of really well composed shots and um, these long takes that you could tell were really like well, like they, they they were like actually blocked out in a pretty interesting way. Like there would be a situation where the camera is just steady, right? They just put it on a tripod, but the way that the characters were moving around inside of the frame was like simultaneously like really well like rehearsed because. They were hitting, they they were hitting specific marks, but also like natural. You know what I mean? Like it felt like I was just watching, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of teenagers, right? Like lounging around um, and talking to one another over the course of a couple of minutes or something along those lines, and they're and they're slowly moving throughout that space, but they never. You know, like, they never moved in such a way that they were, you know, out of the frame or, a lot, like, folk, you know what I mean? And so it's like, and so I, I definitely thought that it was, um, I definitely thought that at the very least it was shot really well and it was directed really well. Uh, but there really isn't a narrative. It is just kind of a, uh, it's kind of like a, it, it's, I guess it's probably like a, like a gay version of um, dramatic... You know, like, any kind of, like, dramatic romance that gets this kind of thing. I, another one is kind of, like, Carol, maybe, from two years ago. Oh, okay. okay. Was sort of similar. But even that, like, there was kind of more because there was, like, this whole infidelity. Like, one of the weird things about the movie is that, like, his parents don't care. They are, they're, like, you know, like, bohemian artists, right? Um, and then the other thing is it's set in the 80s, so I thought maybe it would be an AIDS movie. And it would be, like, they... they they get AIDS, and that's the and that's the end of the movie. Um, but it was really neither of those things. Yeah, and and th- like I agree with you on the parents thing. Not even on the basis of like you know like they're they're gay or whatever. Just the fact that like if if I was a professor and I brought home a grad student to work with me academically and ended up fucking my kid, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be cool with that, regardless of the genders of any of the people involved. Like. I don't know. It seemed like a weird, like, ethical thing. Cradle robbing is a real problem. Yeah, I mean, there's been quite a lot of hand-wringing about that. um, Because the ages in the movie are, like, 17 and, like, 24. See, see, Um, that that doesn't bother me. So, like, you know, I I get why people could be aggravated about that. But, like, like I said, the thing that really bothers me is that 
the parental reaction is not only like this is okay, but like this is like really good. And like the end of the movie is yeah. him being like, Yeah, this is like a super important thing that you did, fucking my grad student. I was just like <laughs> What? <laughs> um like uh, I I it's uh it just felt weird. Um from from that perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um should we should we talk about the apricot? <laughs> okay. This is about to get really not safe for work, but I do want to talk about the apricot <laughs> because you and I had a very similar reaction to the apricot in this movie. Okay, so um, I guess they're saying in like an apricot orchard or something along yeah, those lines. There's tons of apricots in this. Yeah, and there's this one part in the movie where the boy, the 17-year-old kid, pulls an apricot and he and he takes a bite out of it. Right? No, no, well, see, here, here's the thing, right? The way this scene starts is it's right after they've they've had sex for the first time, and he pushes his finger into the top of the apricot to pull out the pit. But like the imagery is like very clear what he's doing, right? Like, and he pulls it. He pulls out the pit, and then he proceeds to like, like he eats a little bit of it, and then he like puts it down his pants, and he fucks the apricot, <laughs> and then he takes it and he puts it on his dresser. Right? In a way that I looked at it and I was like, no, th- there's no way somebody's going to come in and eat this apricot, right? Like, that's that's way too slapstick for this movie, right? Like, you know, like, this, this is, like, the thing you see in, like, the, the hangover where someone picks up the, you know, picks up the, the fuck apricot off the thing. and like This, is, like, like this a, is like an American pie. This is, like, yeah. something that happens in American pie. Um, But then uh, the grad student character comes in and he picks it up, recognizes what has been done to it. And then proceeds to start to eat it before, like, the kid breaks down. I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Even I know that that was an overt metaphor for their intimacy. So, oh. calm down, guys. <laughs> well, that's yeah, it really, the it really came out of nowhere. And I do want to say, I do want to say, the movie was at least a little bit self-aware about this. Because when Army Hammer is the... Um, Army Hammer is the grad student. When Army Hammer goes to eat it, the kid is like, no, no, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing that happens in this movie, you guys. Uh, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> uh, comes out March 14th if you're interested. I'm- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that this is kind of um, – I think this is kind of a movie that wants to be carried a little bit on its, like, thematic weight or whatever, which is kind of, like, this is the kind of thing that's really up my alley, right? If there's anything that I'm willing to forgive, it's, like, foregoing, like, a plot motivation or a character motivation for kind of, like, a thematic motivation. But I have a tough time kind of identifying what that would be um, because there doesn't seem to be any kind of like greater or more nuanced philosophical point than just like falling in love as a teenager is a thing that happens. Um, and, uh, and for folks that, you know, like, and, and to a certain extent, I think that maybe that kind of like slice of life aspect to it is like, that, like maybe we haven't really seen this with a gay couple or something or the the particular framing of it like maybe there's something to be said for like this this is a movie where the they basically go through all of the beats of a heterosexual romance but it is gay and there's no stigma applied to it right like the movie isn't like you know you know it's not like it's not like milk or something right where like part of the text of the movie is about the oppression of 
uh, and like the homophobia, right, implicit in the system or whatever. But um, but I think that that also kind of is what contributes to the fact that it feels like dramatically, you know, weightless. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Uh, I don't think either uh, Bangor and I were all that uh, all that thrilled by it. Um, uh, the next movie on the list is Darkest Hour. Uh, Darkest Hour is the one that stars um, uh, Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill, and it's like it's it's actually not a long chronicling of like Churchill's stint as prime minister during World War II. It is really focused like laser focused uh, on basically the first month of his job um, as the prime minister from taking over from Neville Chamberlain, right? Uh, who's the prime minister that was appeasing, um, you know, the fascists and Hitler uh, in the start of world war two uh, all the way up to uh, the evacuation at Dunkirk, which is kind of like the climax of the movie. Uh, the first thing that I actually do want to say about this is that it is weird that Darkest Hour is kind of like an unintentional prequel to Dunkirk, which also came out this year. And it's also for Best Picture. And it's also, yeah, it's also for Best Picture. And I almost kind of wish, to be honest with you, that, the, like, another part of this is that, um, the king, like, whatever, you know, whatever, King George or, or whoever the, the king is, uh, at the time of this, is the same character that Colin Firth plays in the King's Speech. And part of me really wanted that role. It was played by Ben Mendelsohn in the movie. Uh, but I really wanted that role to be Colin Firth because I love the idea of like an Oscar bait cinematic universe. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would be, that would be hilarious. But uh, on a slightly more serious note, um, I really love this film. I thought it was um, beautifully shot. Um, I thought that like the, the overhead shots of the battlefields and of, of, of like London and whatever were phenomenal. I thought that the, uh, the costuming was, 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 was great. Um, I usually don't notice costuming, but I did hear, and it was, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, I thought the movie was engaging and, and kind of, and, you know, great, like better than most of the, most of like the, the stuff that, that usually kind of falls into this art house category. It had a really, it had a really crazy sense of stakes, I think, yeah. which is part of what made it work so well. Like, cause it, and it, and it was stakes in a way that we don't typically see with a world war two movie, which is part of what actually really drew, drew me to it because it was focusing so much on like the politics of parliament. Right. And like the prime ministers or whatever. Um, you kind of had a pushback both on the, like, we have 400,000 troops deployed to France and France crumpled like a wet, wet napkin. What are we going to do, right, if the Nazis are able to wipe out our people at Dunkirk and Calais? Uh, were entirely fucked, right? But also from the other side of things, which was after he resigned, after Neville Chamberlain resigns, um, and the other guy, do you remember? the Halifax, I'm sorry. Halifax, yeah. Um who was kind of next in line to take over as prime minister, but was a little bit reluctant to do so. These guys were pushing specifically for peace talks with Germany, right? And they wanted to uh, continue that appeasement and say, you know what? France has lost too bad, right? Let's, you know, let's enter into negotiations. And so you kind of had this, like, you had this push and pull from both sides where obviously, you know, as a dude sitting in, 20, in 2018... I know that Hitler is bad news, right? Like, and that we, you know, like, and that Neville Chamberlain and Halifax are wrong, that they should not, 
um, uh, that they should not look for peace, that they need to stop the fascist threat because otherwise genocide, right? Um, uh, but I really did respond to that kind of like sense of urgency uh, to the whole thing. Plus there's like a ticking clock to it because it really only spans that month. Like he takes office in the, in the beginning of May. Um, and then it's just like the, it's, it's literally like a day by day, um, procedure all the way through till June, uh, when the Dunkirk evacuation goes off. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it, it's, it feels, I don't know. It, I think part of it too is like, because though that, that kind of like, deliberation is a thing that like it's like a sentence in a history book mm-hmm. um there's enough of a story there to really like get across like the the kind of tension that we don't otherwise know right like we all know how world war ii turned out right um frankly i don't think i would have known anything about dunkirk if i hadn't seen dunkirk before this movie um yeah it's explicitly so, like a british thing yeah um, um, and darkest hour really is also pretty explicitly a british thing like there's a part in the movie where um Winston Churchill calls FDR and FDR is talking about like we ha- we signed a neutrality Congress signed the neutrality act right and I just like literally can't help you by you know by law because um My because of that bad, right yeah. uh and so and so like it, it it was it was definitely pretty interesting to see this kind of thing from a uh from like such like a hardcore British perspective, rather than like the typical uh, American perspective. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. Um, I also thought like that uh that like the uh the 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 typist character was was great at kind of like humanizing things and like you know like being just kind of like like a like if there's a, if there's a person you're supposed to relate with most in this movie, I think it's supposed to be that the the typist character. The typist is played by Lily James, who's also in who's the like um, uh, whatever the love interest name I can't remember in Baby Driver. Uh, oh, really? She was also pretty fantastic, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I thought Winston. I'm sorry. I thought Gary Oldman did okay. Uh, like I wouldn't I wouldn't feel good calling him bad. Uh, but on this list, you know, it wasn't. Wasn't amazing. <laughs> why, why, why do you say that? I knew it was Gary Oldman the whole time, to a certain extent, okay. and I thought that. And I actually really respond to this kind of acting in general. Like I love scenery chewing, uh, you know, hammy hands, right? Like Ian McKellen, right? Like or like this is you know this is part of why I love like Zod and Man of Steel or something like that, right? Like I I like people who emote. I like people who go over the top. I don't really respond to subtlety in acting. Um, but, uh, there was just something a little bit phony, I guess, uh, about, uh, about, uh, Gary Oldman. I, I don't know. Uh, like, he's, he's just, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and there are, there are also specific parts of it that, like, really kind of, like, activated for me, um, where I kind of just felt the artifice of everything and then there were other parts that were much more natu- naturalistic like there's actually a pretty I, I would i would say there's a part of the movie that's pretty not great where winston churchill leaves um like his like you know motorcade or whatever and he goes and he rides the subway in london and he's talking to like the citizens uh, of uh of england or whatever right um that scene i thought was very well 
that that scene I thought was actually pretty hokey because the whole point is that like he's receiving all of this pressure to enter into peace talks or whatever and then he goes and he he goes into the subway and he asks these people he's like you know what would you say if I told you that we could enter into peace talks with Germany right now and all of these people are like well blimey broke no way <laughs> You know, fuck that Hitler Ponce wanker, you know, like, or whatever. Um, and then he goes, and then he goes to Parliament, and he's like, I just talked to all these people, and they said, don't, you know, like, don't count out a Hitler kind of thing. Um, and that scene seemed hokey to me, kind of like, uh, in, in, a, like, in a screenplay sense, right? Um, but it was very well carried because I thought he was good in that, right? He was kind of soft-spoken and conflicted, right? And he was playing, like, he was having a real conversation with these people. Uh, but then there were other scenes in the movie where, like, you know, he was kind of doing his his thing with, like, his war council or whatever, and he was yelling at them and telling them to be, you know, to get, to get, it, to get in line, right? He's the prime minister now or whatever. And I was just kind of like... This doesn't work. Uh, I thought I thought it worked. I, I love those scenes because um, I specifically I don't think he was like there was a little bit of like I'm the prime minister now, but it was mostly kind of like, God damn it, man, man, this is like what we do for country. I don't know. I, really I, I definitely it. I definitely think those scenes were good. Just that his acting in them specifically was okay. not amazing, and that's where the kind of seams on on it on it showed. I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I, I disagree with you there, but I, 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 I will say that there is a free, pretty amazing moment of tension in one of those scenes where he's talking to Lord Halifax and we know as the audience that Lord Halifax is trying to get him to say on the record that he will not enter into peace talks with Germany because he knows that that'll like trigger, you know, like a vote of no confidence in parliament or whatever. And the there's the there's a moment where he does that in one of these war councils that's being like noted by um you know like by a typist or whatever and you can see Winston figure it out in the moment and I was like that and it was a really great moment of like tension right and like if there is a place where you kind of feel like Winston Churchill is is a capable um like politician that was really great I want to I want to highlight that that bit at the very least Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, we should probably soldier on. Yeah, to, uh, that's fucking, uh, that's, that's Dark Towers. Okay, so the next one down the list is Dunkirk, uh, obviously directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, one of the biggest movies uh, on this list. It got like a big blockbuster release in, uh, uh, in the middle of the summer season. Um, and it's just kind of, a, you know, a, the factual story of this is the Dunkirk evacuation from the point of view of uh, just like a random soldier on the ground, like on the beach. Um, and uh, one of the members of the civilian fleet that comes to evacuate uh, the the army at Dunkirk. And then uh, a pilot, like a, a fighter pilot, who is uh, covering d the, the Dunkirk evacuation from the air and kind of getting into like, you know, dogfights with like the German fighters or whatever, right? Um, this is one that most, the, have all of us seen this? Yeah. Definitely. Nice. I, I've seen it. I, nope. Did you not. Didn't see, you didn't see I, Dunkirk? Wow. I specifically decided not to see Dunkirk. Good man. Uh, Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's no point in getting into this now, but uh, I have a specific uh, issue with war movies, um, and so oh. I I was not interested in seeing Dunkirk. Fair enough. Um, 
Uh, I, I usually share that same sentiment, but I kind of went in it because I wanted to give Christopher Nolan another chance after Interstellar. So. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well. What was it? Were you... Did he redeem himself? Would you all think that Christopher Nolan has redeemed himself? Personally, no. <laughs> uh, do I think Christopher Nolan has redeemed himself? That's a tough question. Uh, uh, I think Christopher Nolan is inherently a robot. Yes. So um, he I, doesn't understand human emotions. <laughs> and it's very good at building from a, them. From the point of view of like, as just a director, it still looks beautiful it's a great looking movie but all the characters i just didn't care about they all just seem to just serve a purpose and that's it i don't remember anybody's name uh tom hardy is unkillable it seems like until the very end uh but yeah and it, it all came off as more of a propaganda film i don't know if anybody else felt the same way yeah I, th this is also part of the kind of like it's specific like christopher nolan is obviously british um and the Dunkirk evacuation is a specifically British piece of World War II, kind of in the same way that I think Pearl Harbor is a specifically American piece of World War II, right? Uh, and now that I've actually made that connection to my head, holy shit, I kind of think that, like, the point, like, the most apt point of comparison for Dunkirk is Pearl Harbor by Michael Bay. Like they're both kind of wow. You are so wow. happy right now that you get to make that connection. <laughs> I, I never thought about it until literally this second, right? But like, I, honestly, I kind of feel as though that's exactly what this is. Like, I kind of feel like, you know, um, these are mildly auteurish filmmakers, right? Who have cut their teeth on dumb action movies and are like punching above their weight class and not really not really making it, you know, like, nine rounds. You know what I mean? Uh, like, oh, man. Like, I think Pearl Harbor is worse. I definitely I definitely will say that I think Pearl Harbor is a worse movie than Dunkirk is. Um, that but is they share surprising. a lot of the same DNA, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does somebody, like best friend engaged to somebody sleep with i just i don't know I just, <laughs> no, I, well that's kind of the part that's missing is that there is none of that stuff it is all um uh it's all drama right it's all about the tension um of the of the evacuation of like will they get out in time right the nazis are you know like the nazis are faceless they are just kind of like a force of nature a a you know, an artificial hurricane that is bearing down on all of these people, and if they don't get out in time, everyone is gonna die or get captured, I guess, you know, whatever, the Geneva Convention exists. Um, but in the same way that, like, Pearl Harbor fails because it's kind of, it is so concerned with its own propaganda, um, I think I think Dunkirk fails because it it is so concerned with its own propaganda, right? Like I actually think that part of one of the reasons that Pearl Harbor fails is that it wants to tack on a happy ending to what is just a national tragedy, right? And I think we missed the like that movie misses the mark because it ends with the Doolittle raids over. Um, over Tokyo, which, by the way, from, like, a military history perspective, were absolutely, like, worthless and didn't do anything, right? But it was this kind of third act that's supposed to kind of put a happy face on Dunkirk, and yeah, we got, you know, we got him back, right? Alec Baldwin has, like, the worst line of all time, because he says, he's like, 
even if we, you know, even if we, our our bombers get over there, it'll be a pinprick, but it'll be a pin right through their hearts or something. <laughs> and it's so bad, right? But um, oh, don't you remind that... me of that god awful scene? Why? <laughs> know, why did you do so that to me? <laughs> but but there's a scene at the end of Dunkirk that's like the same fucking shit where Tom Hardy is like flying his Spitfire. Um, you know, his, his, his plane, uh, like his fighter plane and he's out of, and he's out of gas and he makes one final pass and he destroys the Nazi bomber that's about to kill, you know, a bunch of guys and everybody cheers. And instead of landing like the plane in a sensible way, right? Like instead of like, you know, like crashing into the water or whatever, and then like swimming to, to the, to the boats for the evacuation or something, right? Or instead of like landing on the beach near the like landing on the beach near the near the soldiers so that he can be evacuated with them he like goes on this like epically framed like heroic thing where he lands the plane on the beach and then gets captured with like a stiff upper lip by the nazis or whatever and i was just like holy shit like he does a freaking victory lap in yeah, a plane yeah, that has exactly. no gas. <laughs> well that, that's the point right he has to glide it out like that that's why he doesn't do something smart is because he can't like he has to glide the plane out because he's out of gas. He's he's running on, he's running on like whatever he can he can glide out of it. Like I don't know that that didn't that didn't strike me as particularly in, in an inappropriate like thing that just like like that was supposed to be part of the heroism of the moment that he's run out of gas and he still has to has to try and like end this somehow right like maybe no I, make- I definitely I like I definitely understand like the he's out of gas and like the you know getting that last german bomber sort of thing like that 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 kind of works the problem is is that it felt like he had he had every opportunity to uh uh he had every opportunity to like land the plane in a sensible way and evacuate with his people but because he didn't want to crash it because it's like this symbol of like you know Britain or whatever, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 that's I, just, think, that I think you're mostly just so over fucking hokey. I, I think you're just overestimating the uh, the kind of ability to control to crash an aircraft in a way that doesn't get you killed. See, the thing is, they they showed us that earlier in the movie, though. Like, I would maybe agree with you if earlier in the movie somebody had tried to like control craft controlled crash an airplane and they died. Right, and Tom Hardy witnesses that, or something like that. But they showed a controlled crash in the movie with Tom Hardy's like partner or whatever, sure. who then gets rescued by the Navy guys, right? And so it's kind of like, what you know what I mean? Like if you can successfully survive after you crash, you know, after you crash a plane into the water, I don't know. That that that's part of that's part of the the whole the whole thing for me. Uh, I I don't know. I I didn't feel that. Then I don't I don't feel that. Nobody get it. You know, in in. What appears to be controversial to, to to the popular opinion, I I actually enjoy this movie. I saw it on the back of a, an airplane seat, uh, so I didn't I didn't experience it in its full majesty. Um, I didn't think it was was incredible or anything, but I but I enjoyed the uh, I, I I enjoyed the, the the film for what it was. Um, I, I feel like the the term propaganda is a, a weird thing to apply to this because a lot of this movie is showing soldiers being cowards, and that doesn't seem like a thing you put in a propaganda film you know i have to say that is kind of fair uh the 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 propaganda definitely isn't like 100 percent saturated like i would say that like you know like pearl harbor is 100 percent saturated um like because there's also mark rylance's character who owns one of the you know he owns like a 
like a civilian boat, but he's like, we must do our duty and everything like that. Like, he also seems pretty... Uh, right, like, no, he, he's definitely, like, like a, a crazy, weird patriot thing. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, the kid on his boat gets killed because the 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 guy, that, the first guy that they rescue is horrified by the horrors of war and doesn't want to go back to Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah, well played. That, that makes sense. Well, the thing that really brought it home for me, though, is the ending with uh, Kenneth Branagh as Commander Bolton. And throughout the whole movie, they're all panicking about, oh, how many people are they going to get out of Dunkirk? And at the very end, uh, one of the officers asks him, like, oh, how many did we save? And Kenneth Branagh looks at the freaking camera <laughs> and, and he smiles and he says, 30,000. And he kind of, like, winks. I'm like, I don't know if I remember that correctly, but it seemed really odd how he, like, broke the fourth wall there. Like, it, yeah, that's kind of where it kind of rubbed me wrong. Like, that's just weird. Yeah, um, I don't remember that, but, it, you know, I'll, I'll copy yeah, that. Yeah, I definitely do remember that. Kenneth Branagh was there just to essentially, like, Be deliver, smug. like, gravitas <laughs> to the, the proceedings. <laughs> uh, oh. But anyway, so that's Dunkirk, I guess. Uh, some people think that Dunkirk has, like, the outside... Uh, like the outside chance at some kind of like upset win or whatever. But the next movie on the list, uh, most people think has a pretty good shot of actually taking home like the best picture win. Uh, Get Out is directed by Jordan Peele, and it's the story um, of a uh, of a young black guy who has uh, who is going to visit his white girlfriend's family um, out in the burbs. Uh, for the first time, and it's a horror movie that slowly reveals um, that even though her family um, makes these kind of outward intonations about how uh, accepting they are and not racist they are, really they run a sinister cabal that is trying to replace um, black people's brains with white people's brains in like a horrific auction Kind of man, actually explaining the plot of this movie is a little harder than I thought. Yeah, it would well, be. I mean, it, it's it's, I mean, it, it's weirdly kind of like they don't hate black people. They clearly think that they're worth trying to snatch their bodies yeah. of, right? Like it, it, it's a weird body horror film, absolutely. Um, where they're replacing young, strong black men's minds with uh, old white men's minds, so that they can have the the power of youth and, I guess blackness like that seems to be like a like a, a thing that they that the family really believes in that like you know it's hip to be black and so we shall take their bodies and become them. it was the, the imagery is really weird the, the whole thing is is is, is kind of, i actually might say you know like actually looking over the list i'm pretty sure get out is my favorite of uh of all of the movies that are nominated. Like, I think this thematic core is just, like, so fucking strong that it... I, I'm not even a horror movie guy. Like, I actually typically really don't like horror movies. Um, but uh, I think this one just, like, worked perfectly. But there's just, like, so much going on underneath the surface. And I think that this, this you know, them like, thematic lodestone that is being mined is kind of, uh, is kind of like, the... The thing that everyone's talking about, right? But there's just, like, so much in here that I feel like uh, that's just, like, interesting to talk about from, like, a philosophical perspective. You know what I mean? Um, and then on top of that, I also think that basically everyone in here gave really great performances that, like, way better than they had any right 
two. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is obviously the main character, uh, but even like Bradley Whitford as the the kind of like patriarch of this family has these like you, he's just so good at this kind of like bumbling, well-meaning like liberal who's also kind of like saying weirdly racist shit. Uh, like I don't know, I I thought you know I, there's a lot of stuff in here that's just like really good, um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, well, well, what did you, this is one that all of us saw, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yep. Warren, what, what did you think, since you haven't had a chance to talk about anything yet? Yeah, that's true, yeah, Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I, uh, no, I get to talk a lot at the end, that's the fun part. Um, no, I, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed Get Out, you know, like, watching it was an experience. I mean, it's definitely one of those, like, first time watches the entire point, like, that first time you experience all of that film like that obviously everyone will mention like oh if you like rewatch it you can notice all these little ticks and little things and yeah i know they put all of that into that film i'm not gonna watch it again um because like kind of the point like those themes that it's trying to get across are very heavy and very like you know bored to your face kind of laid down on you so uh, I think it's a pretty, like, lasting effect of a film, and so, I, I mean, and that's the point, right? Like, it was supposed to leave its audience, like, just with that uncomfortable feeling of someone wanting to take everything positive about you, but deny your existence. Um, like, that's that body movie, right? Like, someone wants to possess these aspects of you, but in possessing them, they want to completely erase you, and, you know, that is a very strong, that's a very strong thing to talk about. Don't mind me. The sirens that are in my background. <laughs> Normally, we would be able to edit that out. Um, yeah. yeah, I also think that. Uh, um, I also think there's a lot of little stuff in this movie that goes like a long way. Like the part where, um, uh, like one of the characters gets the like the flash. And he just and he does the thing where he says the title of the movie, which I always find so horrendously like hokey. You know what I mean? It's like that. There's like a Family Guy skit about that or whatever. Um, but Smash like, cut. Yeah. <laughs> but like he like he you know he looks at Daniel Kaluuya and he's like get out or whatever. And even though part of me wanted to just kind of like wince because I think it's just like I don't know. It's just really lame when movies reference their own titles. Um, this is one of the times that that has never happened. Like, the, like I was so in it that that didn't even that that didn't even bother me. And then there was just like little, like just like little things, little details, like the way that um, the way that the girlfriend like eats these Fruit Loops like one at a time, and then she takes a sip from of milk from straws. She's like, like Which looking is horrifying. Yeah, Absolutely and then she's like horrifying. looking on the internet for like like other black guys that she could seduce and like you know, bring into was, the family or whatever. She was checking the NCAA uh, pages. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. There's so just something so creepy about that. In a way, I think that, uh, in a way, I kind of almost think that she's, like, the worst of the, like, she's, like, the worst of the characters in the family. Um, like, I saw something about, um, uh, I guess Jordan Peele said that, uh, like, somebody asked him the question of, like, for her... If all if she, if all of her family stopped doing this, would she continue? And he was like, "Yes, 
Absolutely. She's not doing, she's doing this because it's something that she's really good at. And just like the, the crazy like psychopathy of that really came across to me. Um, you get really good at fooling black. That's I just, know, right? I, Isn't like, that so fucked up? But I think it's, and, and I, but like, you know, in, in the end of the movie, when the, when like everything kind of starts like rolling downhill, um, and people are getting like murdered, I think it makes a lot of, uh, even though it feels like Bradley Whitford dying first is is strange, and then he kind of moves his way through the rest of the like the rest of this the family as he's trying to escape or whatever. I think it makes a lot of sense that that final showdown is between him and her um, because at the at the end of the day, like she's the person who's kind of like almost like most evil in a way. Like, yeah, no, I'm well. And the other like even character wise, like all of those people, all of these white people who want to put their brains into other men's bodies. Like, they're horrifying. Don't get me wrong. They're all evil, mm-hmm. sadistic fuckers. But she... And the Japanese guy. And the and the Japanese guy. Let's not forget, <laughs> you know, equal opportunists. I totally forgot about uh, that, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but she very specifically, like, all of them are pretty what they are, right? Like, the only thing all those other characters aren't doing is telling him that they're going to hypnotize him and take his brain. She, on the other hand completely lies to him every step of the way and so she is like she is the most villain that this movie can have yeah yeah no, that, yeah. You don't get any yeah there's not gonna me. be an argument against that it's just the truth yeah. uh it's uh, also crazy it's also crazy that this is his first film you know what i mean mm. um <clears throat> Where, like, obviously we all know Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, right? Which is kind of, like, uh... Amazing, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, like, it's just, it's, I, I was actually, I, <clears throat> I went back and I rewatched a whole bunch of, of, uh, of Key and Peele after, after, like, watching this movie or whatever, but, like, it is pretty, it is pretty freaking impressive, um, that they were able to kind of, like, get to this position, uh, based on, you know, a genre movie with, like, all of this race, like, this racial subtext, um, yeah, you know, uh, directed by a first-time guy. Uh, this, this is the thing I did want to point out, is that this type of movie doesn't usually get an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Um, and, you know, no, like, I, I think that there are movies in the past that, like, were of or up to this quality that, did, that don't get the nod because it, it isn't Oscar-baity enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm glad to see that a movie like this gets... Get gets the nomination. Maybe the, the 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 field will open up a little bit more moving forward. So it isn't all like these weird artsy things that are clearly Oscar bait. Um, not that artsy, I don't like those. Bunch of money. That movie. Uh, yeah, I definitely like the Oscars from like a from like a an overall perspective. Just because it puts um, like a different. It like forces some variety into into the proceedings, right? Um, which I think is really like great and really useful and everything like that. But I do think that there is uh, there is kind of space for like movies like Get Out, uh, Wonder Woman, right? You know, even like Black Panther or whatever. Like like big movies that also have a lot on their mind um, that sh- that kind of deserve nominations, kind of uh, kind of things. Like The Dark Knight is like the biggest. The biggest one that everybody talks about uh, from like a snub category, um, uh, but yeah, so that's so that's Get Out. Um, the next movie is Lady Bird, directed by Greta Gerwig, who is a uh, is an actress. It stars Shirley 
Ronan um, as a high school senior in her last year of high school uh, in 2003, right? Two. 2002. Um, yeah. Or I guess 2002 uh, yeah. going into 2003. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was right um, after 9-11. They bring yeah. it up a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, this this is the kind of movie that I hate, so I'm, I'm not going to talk a lot. <laughs> I, I really like this movie, though, personally. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I did, too. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. Go on, yeah. sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I, I'm really big into the Slice of Life stuff, and it's really cool to see Greta Gerwig like evolve into this writer-director, because I've seen her in a lot in a lot of uh, indie films uh, as an actress. So just to see how she directs these uh, people in the cast, it felt like real people uh the person that stood out to me the most was uh laurie metcalf as the mom and she's amazing because she's not your typical mom role where she's aggressive or very like negative towards the daughter but at the same time she isn't like overly supportive at the same time but she she comes from a place of love uh whenever she says like snippy things she feels like a real mom in the role so i really hope she gets uh that uh win she's nominated for i honestly i thought the whole family felt very real um like like the kind of the dad's relationship with the mom where he's like you know he knows like her flaws and is like willing at some level to go behind her back to like do things so that um because you know he understands kind of the problems there and you know definitely definitely like the being a teenager like like that whole interaction with all of it it felt it felt very real, like, you know, modular a couple of, 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 you know, obviously important details. I felt like this could have been, like, like there are scenes from this movie that could have been scenes from my life. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was, like, super, super awesome and super, super compelling. I will say that that is probably the strongest aspect of the movie. Like, there are some places where it so just resists the temptation to kind of become uh, anything, like, rote or like conventional. And I think that's a lot of what sells specifically Laurie Metcalf's character as the mom, because um, like the way that she talks about like, like the way that they get across her like passive aggression is something that very rarely I feel like translates to, to to the screen because it's, it's less dramatically satisfying than a character just being aggressively aggressive. Right. Um, But it's something that I feel like a lot of us have, I don't know, like, come across. And I think that that sentiment of, like, it felt like my family, it felt like my life, right, uh, comes across because it's so, it, it resists those kind of, like, tropey interactions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I also really like the fact that they didn't make a really big deal about the family structure itself, because uh, I'm pretty sure his, her brother is adopted. And also the uh, he the girlfriend lives with the family, but it's all just part of the family. They don't really make a big deal of it. It's just part of their life at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody ever like looks at the camera and is like, when when I was fifteen, my dad kicked me out. You're like that stuff comes across, but like it shows up much more naturally in the dialogue. Yeah. Um, And it's meant to reinforce the fact that like you know. For all their flaws, these people are ultimately good people, which, which um, actually I think um, draws an interesting parallel with, with three billboards, so I'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. Um, uh, Can I just complain about something really quick? Go for it. Part of the reason that I, I hate – this is a little bit like uh, – 
Well, it's a little bit less like Moonlight, a little bit more like Manchester, I guess, from like last year, which is that like because the stakes and like everything that's going on is so small scale, it was really tough for me to care about it or whatever. But I did feel a particular fuck you because at the end of the movie, like she's calling herself Lady Bird and over the course of the movie, she keeps correcting people. Um, and it's it's a point of contention between her and her mother, right? Her mother wants her to go by Christine and she wants to be called by Lady Bird or whatever. Um, and then the end of the movie, she goes to college and uh, and she introduces herself. Somebody goes like, what's your name? And the camera like holds for a second. And she goes like, Christine, as a person who has willingly chosen to forego his birth name and choose to go by the name Buddy, right? I loathe the, the implication <laughs> that there's like that just like really like felt like a particular fuck you to me personally, right? That like it seemed like childish or whatever that uh, that she would want to go by a nickname that's different than the name she was. Given. No, I, I think it was just more of the she was accepting her family at that. Point. Yeah, yeah, I definitely so get that, right? And I, and I think that it's a little bit different. Like the the like, the nickname Buddy does come explicitly from my family, so it's, it's not quite one-to-one but it's something that i saw and i literally said fuck you to this screen i was like oh come <laughs> on i was so mad about that uh so so on on the flip side something i want to point out that i, I really enjoyed um was the kind of the thing where for the second movie or the second play um they bring in the jv football coach to direct the play oh, oh my god yeah, that was so actually great. Really funny it's so yeah, funny it was such a small piece but it was like it was so like the, the whole like him drawing out the play on the board was so perfect and then i like, forgot about it and at the very end where he like jumps up and cheers when the play is over yeah. it, was like, it was just like oh it's so perfect great callback to that yeah yeah no it was it was such a small part of the movie but I, but I loved it it was so perfect i loved it so much um how did you feel about like the relationship between like her and the best friend? Oh, um, uh, and like she goes and becomes one of the popular kids for a while, and then goes to prom with her best friend. You mean you mean Mean Girls too? Uh, yeah, because <laughs> that uh, that was another part of the movie that felt really hokey. Uh, it, like, it felt rushed. Yeah, it's probably the best way that I could have put it. But uh, I, I think I agree with you that like it did feel kind of hokey too. Um, I was actually almost a little bit on board with the movie for a bit before that, um, just from the perspective of, like, that's not the kind of thing that we see all that often on film, right? Like, the kind of slow death of a relationship, um, like, 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 the slow death of, like, a friendship or whatever, um, because people are... Just you know, like because like people's priorities shift and they kind of like grow apart a little bit. And I was and I I was like halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then once I realized what they were doing, I was like, oh, all right. No, definitely, yeah. Especially when you're going through high school to college, there's a lot of relationships that just drop off. So it would yeah, be probably better reflected in that part. Uh, that gave it a little bit more time to like flesh out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of weird sequels that shouldn't happen, like if this movie got a sequel, I could see that being like the theme of of that movie is the death of Julie and Lady Bird's friendship while she's at college. Um, yeah, definitely. It, yeah, but like I, I think I totally agree with you, buddy. That like the, the 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 part with like the popular girl felt like weird and forced. Um, Though I really did feel the uh, the kind of like breakdown between like the rich kids side like this is part of like where i grew up um a little bit um 
but like the the idea of like the you know the other side of the tracks and like getting this kind of like anxiety because your family is poor and your friends are rich or or like you want to be part of like the rich kids group right like that was also part of it that i thought was very authentic i think in general the movie was just really focused on its authenticity um almost at the exclusion of other shit right like uh and that's why and that's what works about it you know yeah um yeah i could could definitely buy that um you have you have any uh, other thoughts larry uh, I really like the use of the Crash <laughs> song. The use of Crash uh, by uh, Dave Matthews oh, Band. Dave Matthews. That was really good. <laughs> uh, that was really that funny. That was really funny. Uh, really well done. Um, and, and I didn't know that the first boyfriend was the same guy who's in Three Billboards, too. And I thought his performance Wait, was really? Yeah. Oh, really? That's the, I thought he was the, the only person that was bad in the movie. Lucas oh, really? Hedges, I think it's his think, name or whatever. I, yeah, I think he's better in this. I didn't like him at all in Three Billboards, but we'll get that but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's but yeah i mean i i also really didn't like him in manchester by the sea i thought he was pretty bad in that too uh um yeah give him time oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know i don't know people he keeps landing these roles so maybe i just don't maybe i just don't get it uh okay so the next movie on the list is the phantom thread this is directed by paul thomas anderson um uh starring daniel day lewis i think larry you and i are the only ones that have seen this right like mango and yeah Glenn, you missed it no, no, I, I didn't get a chance. I mean, I really okay. wanted to see this. Big fan of Daniel Day-Lewis, but didn't happen. Uh, are you a big uh, PTA fan? No. Okay. I, just, uh, I you know, I, I, well, actually, I have this weird love-hate relationship with Daniel Day-Lewis, because uh, I, I think he does, like, amazing characters, but at the same time, I think part of the reason he does amazing characters is because he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But, yeah, yeah. But no, the, the director I care very little for. I'm actually the opposite. I'm not the biggest Daniel Day-Lewis fan. Uh, I, I respect him as an actor, but like the roles that he's been in, especially, I guess, Lincoln really turned me off on him for a bit. But uh, uh, Paul Thomas, uh, the P.T. Anderson stuff, I've, I've watched all the films so far, and I'm, I enjoy most of his films. Yeah, see, I, I see. I like Paul Thomas Anderson in some places, and I hate him in others. Like, I love Boogie Nights, but I hate their yeah. movie Blood. Uh, uh, like there will be blood like gets on my nerves no i totally get it especially <laughs> when it became memefied really yeah yeah this. yeah that that's also kind of like uh that's also like a little bit of a part of it uh it's also a movie that came out like i want to say right as i was going into college or something like that so it's kind of one of the first movies that i saw when i was like learning to take film a little bit more seriously mm, um yeah. to a certain extent um but yeah, I, I, but like I, you know, uh, but I, but I do like Paul Thomas Anderson when he does stuff like Boogie Nights, or also The Master. I saw, yeah. which I thought was very, very good. It was a beautiful um, film, really well done. Yeah, but uh, but the Phantom Thread very much felt like this. There will be blood side of things. Ah. Uh, the, I guess, so to, to explain the story of the movie is, uh, so it's the it's the 1950s. Daniel Day Lewis plays like a super high end um, fashion designer, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he's really, you know, and he's really like meticulous, um, about, about everything that he does. Uh, and his business is run by, um, his, uh, his sister. Yep. The movie essentially starts, he goes off into the countryside and he finds a waitress who kind of becomes his muse. Um, and they, uh, you know, and so at first he brings him back to, or he brings her back to his boutique 
or whatever and starts, you know, designing dresses and everything with her and their relationship is pretty good. But over time, it kind of deteriorates and it becomes really, like, snippy and shitty with her uh, until – I guess I'll just spoil the movie here or whatever yeah, until well. she fucking poisons him. Yes. Right? And then nurses <laughs> him back to health. And then you kind of find out that she's been poisoning him, poisoning him, like, the whole time. And like, he knows it. Yeah. And then the end of the movie is when he reveals he knows it and he likes it. And I was just like, what the fuck is I mean, going on? <laughs> I, I, really, I really dug it, actually. I really thought the movie was great. And it was a, kind of a metaphor, I guess, for, for relationships where you have to take the good with the bad. And there is some toxicity to it. But sometimes you have to get through the bad to get to the good parts. And also, I know it's a little weird. Okay, Maybe I'm reading yeah. a little too much into it, but no, I no, I think that definitely like tracks or whatever. I like in, yeah. in a way it almost kind of fits in that same like like I also really loved Gone Girl, mm. um, which is like the David Fincher movie, and it kind of has like a little bit of like thematic similarly similarities to this because it's kind of talking about mm. like the inherently like um, like kind of almost like parasitic relationship that forms between two people who love each other right yeah you know and and about like the that dark like, underside of it's kind of like struggle between right but like powers. i don't know man in this one uh but part of it is that it it fused that kind of low stakes slice of lifeness mm-hmm. with uh like with that ethos and like mm-hmm. like at least like at least with gone girl you have a framing device of this mystery of this like uh like murder mystery to kind of solve or whatever that goes along with it, and they can mm. kind of keep like the plot moving forward. But there really wasn't this sim- a similar thing with the Phantom Thread. I um, think it's because more of it's a character study of Reynolds, yeah, yeah, of the main uh, character, and I thought he was great in it because there was this over, like I guess the specter of his mom is throughout everything. Like she, he sews his uh the her, her hair into his clothes and yeah. she constantly talks about her i mean the first thing that he did as a, a fashion designer is make a wedding dress for her mom uh, her his mom for when he was married to oh, getting married or when she was getting married to uh, his his stepfather and he makes it a big deal uh and it's and the literal specter of his mom comes back in the movie so there's this overbearing thing that where he's he's almost stuck to his passion for fashion, uh, rhymes, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, Alma, the, the woman, the, the waitress that he falls in love with, uh, is trying to get him out of that and try to, like, make him live his life more, uh, like, after they get married, they try to go traveling, but he's still designing stuff, so she, the only way to make him lose control and make him, force him to stop uh, doing his art is to literally poison him and make him sick and make him lose all his faculties in order to uh, become weak and like need to be cared for. So I think that's the reason when the the poison metaphor works for me personally. And also, Cyril, uh, the uh, Leslie Manville, great actress in this, who's kind of the authoritative presence in the movie because she's the one who's running the business. And he's just going off on his passion and everything, but she she uh, also does has some like nuance in the character as well. Uh, and there's also this one scene uh, while they're de- uh, designing this wedding dress where there's like this 360 shot of her walking around uh, people designing the dress. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it looked beautiful. Yeah, I actually think that this probably has the best acting. Um... 
of any of the of any of the movies in the in the category like as much as i like want to give this movie shit or whatever really i'm kind of just doing that thing where like it does like i i I guess i think at the end of the day it's a good movie that's just not for me um because daniel day lewis is amazing like he disappears like so fucking effortlessly into this into this role um and i and i want to you know like I don't know. I want to like shit on him a little bit, but I just kind of can't. <laughs> like, he was so good. This is the movie that actually made me like him more. It's about he retired after this, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's retired after because like, didn't he retire after Lincoln too? I guess, but he's gonna he become like a shoemaker or something. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> the, the cobbler. <laughs> he's gonna, oh no! Let's not talk about that movie. <laughs> let's, let's. Um. Yeah, I and so uh, and so I really I, I do have to give props to the acting. Uh, I feel like in this movie, um, and even in 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 a way that like um, it, you know like like even though I don't like there will be blood because of you know like because of whatever like I do like Daniel Plainview. I think he's compelling, and I think Daniel Day Lewis is compelling in the part. Yeah. Um, and that's a much more like scenery chewing ham that's kind of toward to my to my. To my palate, right? Um, yeah, this is the subtlety that you don't. So like this is yeah. yeah, and this yeah. is super subtlety with like yeah. little bursts of aggression here and there, where he'll just like, and he'll yeah. say, and he'll say, like he says "fuck" in the movie, and it's like the first time I've ever heard someone use it as a swear word. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just filled with such like up. oh loathing in there, and also. The, the tension of eating breakfast at the table with him. <laughs> like, yeah, this like, movie oh, has, great, like, the yeah. most, like, Ron Swanson, like, fascination with yeah, breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great, though. Uh, yeah, I definitely... Uh, and, and, I, and I think that... Uh, I think that everybody really did a good job. Yeah. Um, there were no... There were no Lucas Hedges in here where I was like, this guy was... This guy was bad. He's standing out right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, I guess movie. I don't know. That's the that's the that's the Phantom Thread. Um, but what's next on the list? Oh, and the next on the list is the Post. Um, I think it's still you and I that have seen uh that have seen the Post, right? Okay, yeah, <clears throat> I guess anybody. Else. I really like the Post. I thought the Post was pretty great. Um, it's probably my second favorite after after Get Out. Um, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, it follows the kind of um the like the moral and like legal and like political battle that went on behind the scenes in the Washington Post um when they were um considering publishing the Pentagon Papers which is like a 400 page report about you know like the war on Vietnam <clears throat> uh the it stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep um, and I think Meryl Streep is actually kind of the worst part of the movie. Uh, she was pretty the, sleepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the movie itself was actually pretty great. Like there was a lot of uh, it. Re- this is a this is a, like a part of history that I've known about because like they taught. You know what I mean? Like you learn about it in like history class or whatever. Um, but like you don't quite understand what was going on. You know, like because history is is sort of written by the victors, and it would seem like as a much more inevitable thing. Um, but you know, like there was a lot of pushback to whether or not like it was legal to publish these things, or it was, you know, uh, it was the right thing to do to kind of like publish these things. And I thought that the movie did a really good job of not skimping uh, on the kind of like both aspects of that. Right there, Robert McNamara, who's the guy that commissioned the report, right, the, the Secretary of Defense, War, whatever. Um, 
uh, he gets he gets a scene in the movie to kind of speak his piece on why it shouldn't be published and like why it is you know what I mean like why like why the 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 political fallout of this will be kind of like overblown and I was really happy to see that it wasn't uh it wasn't like a straw man argument like it was a real kind of like defensible sort of um yeah, sort of like position right. Security uh, of America, secrets yeah, yeah, and stuff like that, yeah. And even like, and I think he's wrong, right? And the movie comes out on the side of he's wrong, but it doesn't make him into a bad, you know, like it doesn't make him into a bad guy, um, which is I think the which is I think like the key here. Um, but uh, yeah, it reminds me a lot of this of uh, of Spotlight, obviously, because they're both mm. you know like newspaper movies. Um, but also like uh, one of the things that I thought was in Spotlight's favor is that it had just like incredibly straightforward cinematography. It mm. wasn't doing the thing in like in Darkest Hour or like Call Me by Your Name where like it was trying to like be a, a cinematic film. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't trying to be impressive. It was just like you know what? Listen, shot reverse shot is how we're gonna do these dialogue scenes right and when something is important happens we're going to show an insert of it right and when a character makes uh, an important revelation we're going to zoom to a close-up on their face you know like really bare bones student film shit right <laughs> but like it just it works because that you know it's not the it's not the focus of the it's not like the focus of the movie yeah. and so it really like enhances um uh the like the, the proceedings or whatever yeah, I wasn't as big on the movie. I think it's because there's it falls into a lot of like Oscar Beatty tropes for me. Uh, there was the moment of importance on the phone when they made the decision, and then they they, they basically wasted Carrie Coon, who I, I think is an awesome actress from uh, The Leftovers, and uh, yeah, and just the scene coming out of the courthouse with Meryl Streep and all the women looking up at her in admiration, even though they probably wouldn't know who she is. <laughs> Yeah, I oh, that, that was, was really so weird. <laughs> it was, there's some really hokey parts like that, and I don't know. I guess the spoiler ending. I don't know if you could spoil a historical. <laughs> yeah, thing. but it ends with a freaking setup for the sequel for Watergate. <laughs> there's like a security guard goes in, and there's like a, he's like, "There's been a break-in at the Watergate," and then credits. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> hey, here comes the. I have to say, I want to, I want to defend a little bit of that moment in the same way that I want to kind of like the defend the idea of like the uh, you know like an Oscar bait cinematic universe. I actually think I would really appreciate it if Oscar bait movies like this kind of like appropriated some of like these blockbuster. You know what I mean? Like, cliches or whatever. Like, I think that would actually be kind of neat if that was, like, a sequel hook and, like, the next movie on Steven Spielberg's plate was, like, Watergate and it's going to feature all of the same characters or something like that. Like, I don't know. That'd be awesome. Uh, Walking in slow-mo and just, like... It yeah, was, that was... That was I, I, I do agree with you that that was kind of... Uh, it was also one of those things where um, uh, they... They st- it's it's zoom right and they zoom out they start really close in on the security yeah. guard as he's like opening up the water like the Democratic National Committee headquarters and he's like hello or whatever and then it's slowly zooming out until you see like the whole like hotel or whatever and there's like flashlights you know bumbling around um in like in the office itself and for it just seemed like I don't know it just seems so hokey dude it was really hokey uh, also the the cutting. It- 
cutting in between the, the the Richard Nixon from behind on the phone complaining about. Oh, like, see, I thought <laughs> that was really something that they did. Something that they yeah. did in the movie that I thought was really cool is uh, like Richard Nixon was a presence, but he wasn't really a character because what they were do is they were playing the audio from the Nixon tapes, right? Um, yeah. That eventually got like released to the public as part of the, like the Watergate investigation, uh, where he is talking about the Washington Post and the New York Times releasing the uh, releasing the Pentagon Papers. And, um, and one of the things that, uh, uh, and, and so, but the way that they frame that is it's super zoomed in on a, like on a window in the White House. And it's just the silhouette of like Richard Nixon, like moving around the Oval Office, just like shuffling about a little bit. And I thought that that was just like a really neat, that was just like a really neat, like tidbit, um, especially the kind of like bridge the gap between, um uh like certain because like because there's actually quite a lot that happens in the movie um from like beginning to end and it helped with like kind of like narrative flow uh though i will say that it does make like in the same way that i that i appreciated that they kind of gave robert mcnamara um like a real like they didn't turn him into a cartoon essentially um yeah. richard nixon I mean, maybe it's just because he is a real life cartoon. It is the audio <laughs> of him. Being, yeah, no, like, yeah, totally. Like you know, an evil, uh, uh, an evil guy or whatever. But like, man, like, it's yeah. it's it's a little bit rough. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it felt a little too much like a dramatic reenactment from like a current affair or something. Me like whenever yeah. they they popped up, but yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I, I part of this is also I also really like this subject matter. Um, I'm a big fan of like Richard Nixon. Uh, like Watergate stories because I think that they're pretty fascinating. Uh, like, like, have you ever seen Frost Nixon? Uh, oh, a while ago, yeah, yeah, like the Ron Howard movie about the interview that Nixon gave, where he essentially admitted to thinking he was above the law or whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. like, like that stuff. That stuff to me is is it's always been appealing, which is part of what I think uh, why I think I like this movie a lot. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's the that's the post. Okay, so next on the list is The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro. A lot of people's favorite to 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 win it all, to take it. Uh, we had a whole podcast about how I couldn't get past the fact that she wanted to fuck this fish. Well, half and, a podcast, and yeah, half a podcast. Yeah, you're right. But like, and just nobody. It is <laughs> just nobody thinks that's weird in in the in the universe of the movie, right? In the diegesis of the movie. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I think this is another one that I guess all of us have seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will say that since that oh, podcast, yeah. I have kind of come down on the side of the Shape of Water. I've gotten past my hangups to say uh, that I like the Shape of Water. I specifically like the Shape of Water because it is the kind of movie that just takes a bunch of character actors and makes a movie out of them, which is a particular favorite of mine. Like, there's no like movie stars or anything in 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 here. Um, it's just kind of, uh, uh, it's just kind of like a, a, like a real ensemble piece out of people who are good in, you know, like Michael Stuhlbarg, you know, good at everything, or sorry, good in everything, playing, you know, like his, his minor role. Um, and I think Guillermo del Toro has a real talent for, um, uh, characterization of minor characters, right? Like, I don't think it's incredibly important to, you know, the, the plot to know that the Russian spy, right, is like a feel-good communist who wants to believe in the party, but also, you know, cracks a little bit under the the authoritarian rule of, you know, uh, I guess Stalin at the time or whatever, right? Or like, you know, that um, 
that her roommate, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, that her roommate is, uh, you know, is gay and he thinks he has his thing with the dude at the pie shop or whatever. Um, and then that all kind of like blows up in his face. Like, I don't think any of that stuff is like super plot necessary, but it's really important to kind of like feeling out the texture of the world. Um, and that comes across really well. Yeah, well, um, like like we mentioned, you my my thoughts were captured a lot, and I haven't changed them much. So, so Larry and, and Warren, why, why don't you give us your 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 takes on the Shape of Water? I I remember really enjoying the Shape of Water, or at least like watching it and enjoying it. Um, I felt uh, a little confused, uh, and not confused because like I didn't get what happened from scene to scene, but more confused about how much uh, Guillermo was trying to get across. I mean, very much like this is, this is a monster movie. That's also a period piece. That's also somehow trying to throw in this slice of life concepts within the individual characters. And so while watching it, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I just really liked it. It's also a beautiful film. Like, right. Just like the design of that film is awesome. Um, because it's a Guillermo film and he has his people. Uh, but I, in hindsight, looking back on it, it's just there was a lot in that film that then got blended into making this film. And I know many, many people um, who are very critical of that film, uh, statement being made by a lot of people is that it's Amelie without no, without a heart. Um, which I, I would disagree with that. Wow, jeez, man, that's yeah. rough. Yeah, it's a rough one. Really I don't hard. With that statement, <laughs> that is that is quite what a lot of the criticism of this film is, is that someone wanted to make that someone being Guillermo, uh, this piece um that is uh, very eclectic uh and very designed purposefully, uh, but was not written in such a way or acted in such a way that presents feelings and emotions. I don't agree with that statement. Um uh, however, and the only thing is, though, what I will agree with is uh, this is something I loved, but a lot of people, the whole, like, she wanting to fuck a fish, right? Like, that's the part that everybody gets, like, up panties in a bunch about, uh, <laughs> uh, which that phrase for this is great. But um, I, the thing that I loved about that is because Guillermo had his subject, this monster movie, but, like, the monster within, not the monster without, and he had a chance to make jokes about having sex with a fish. And he was like, yes, in my blockbuster, big romance monster movie thing, I'm also going to make jokes about fucking a fish. Um, and, and I just, I really commend him for being like, this is serious. This is my film. Also, this is funny. Uh, and so I, at the very least thought that was great. Um, you know, cause I mean, you know, you could have completely skirted the whole, like, like the joke about like where's his penis coming from like weird clamshell thing and whatnot right like and yet still made those jokes because yes this movie is about a woman who decides to fuck a fish <laughs> yeah so like I, I'm gonna something that I didn't bring up in the podcast something that, that bothered me more than it probably should have um, related to the fish fucking scene is uh, is like the way that that bathroom fills up with water is like totally divorced from how that would actually work. Like, I don't think you could fill up a bathroom like that. And I know that that's like me being like weird and nitpicky, but like, totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> like every time I see, I'm just like, 
that, that, that you can't just fill up a room with water by shoving a towel in the door jam. Like, yeah, yeah. why? <laughs> like, uh, like, uh, that, that, bothered, that bothered me probably too much, but it, it did definitely. It was like, in, <laughs> in, keeping with, in keeping with my ironclad suspension of disbelief, that's not the part that bothered me. The part that bothered me is the way that she looks at her roommate after she fucks the fish. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I just fucked this fish. <laughs> I thought that was pretty awesome. I think the, the, the problem with the fucking the fish really just comes down to how the movie kind of simultaneously wants the fish to be a monster and wants the fish to be like a put-upon, misunderstood human weirdo, right? Because I think I would have been okay with it if he was a put-upon, misunderstood human weirdo and then he eats the fucking cat! Yeah, so what? I feel like that whole like I hated the fact that he ate a cat. At that point I was like, okay, I'm not I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this movie. <sighs> However, to some degree, like that like I think that's part of the point is Gerald being like, This is a fucking monster. Like she like and not monster in the sense that it's like horrible like the guy whose hand rots off, but in the sense that like this is an animal. Like she is in love with this other that is so much other that it freaking ate a cat. Yeah. Like, like to some degree, I think that was necessary so that the audience was reminded that this is a giant fish man. Yeah, but like, uh, I don't know. So there, there's, there's a take out there. Um, and not that I'm a fan of this take, but that this movie is like everything that's wrong with America, and it's like degeneracy in action. Wait, what? And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Like, that's a that's a particular. I, no, I, you know well, what? Like I, like I said, I am not a fan of this take, but it's a take I have seen from some of the some of some sources that are normally not this crazy, but but are but is fairly crazy at this point, right? And like the like in the in the moment where it's like it's okay to fuck a fish as a fish, not as a man that looks like a fish, but as a fish, I think there's like a level of truth to that that's like. I don't know. It bothers me a little bit that, like, you, you can engage with this as, like, you know, yet, yes, it's okay to, like, have sex with an animal in this weird way, which is, like, I don't think the, the the thing he was going for, but it, it, it's what it, like, kind of, like, peels out as. It just feels weird to me. Yeah, like, I definitely think the movie comes down on the side of he is a human, you know, like, he is, he is a a misunderstood humanoid in the same way that all of these people are, right? Like, everyone that, that works in the process of breaking him out, right? Um, but uh, I, it's mostly the cat thing, which I think is, like, almost, like, <clears throat> unintentional, right? Like, I feel like it, all you need to do is remove that. And I just, I don't even know why it's there. What does it add, right? Like, all you need to do is remove that, and you kind of remove this, like, weird implication yeah. that he is it's this, like, an, like, animalistic or whatever, um, I would like. I think I, the movie. I think, I think the movie has way more evidence that he is human than evidence that he is animal. Um, but uh, but I also uh, and, and therefore I would say that people who I mean I also think that people who are like talking about this in like a degeneracy way, right? Like are you know well whatever. Um, uh, but I but I think that 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 conflict is definitely in there, and it definitely kind of uh, kind of like detracts, I guess, from like from the whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll agree with the fact that it completely detracts from the story. Like, it, it's this big rope up. Like, because even for the audience pacing wise, that's like horribly like 
rock the boat because we're all like into this movie and then all of a sudden a fucking cat gets eaten um like just out of left field like even the fish hook scene was like less <laughs> like shocking than the cat being eaten um and i love the fish hook scene uh but yeah wait i'm I, sorry what's the fish hook scene am i fish hook scene where our like our our comrade agent has a hole in his mouth oh, and he yeah. gets oh, fish hooked yeah oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah yeah that's rough yeah that was real rough but it was still not as shocking as plus he was catch. on a mound of salt at the time oh yeah God, <laughs> yeah, okay. I ah, do remember that. Things yeah. we don't want to remember. Yeah. So yeah, we... the people people think that the shape of water is going to is going to take it all. Uh do do does that match with do you guys have predictions? Does anyone have a hot a I hot mean, take? <laughs> we should well should we talk about predictions or should we Well we'll do we'll do predictions movie? after after we discuss um the last movie. Okay, fair enough. Um uh, one one thing, one last thing I wanted to bring up for Shape of Water, just because um, it's in the news, is uh, it's under suit for copying, for ripping off a 1969 play called "Let Me Hear You Whisper." Do any of you have any thoughts on that? Uh, there was also a, there was also a short film or whatever um, that was kind of like about this. Uh, the, or like a, like a short film that was about this that that kind of accused Guillermo of like ripping it off, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, this seems like even though this isn't a story that I've seen before, this also seems like uh, a really easy thing to kind of like independently come to the same end result of or whatever. Yeah, so I mean, like Guillermo openly admits, at least to the idea in a lot of his work, that he pulls from various things. Like, right, this is the creature from the Black Lagoon and and a few other things. And so, while I, I don't know about the play, uh, I don't know about the short film, maybe if I watched those, I'd be just like, oh, wow, they have a strong case. But because I understand, like, legal copyright laws a little bit, they probably don't. Uh, and part of what will be mentioned is the fact that, like, these films just drew from similar areas that Guillermo did when this story was being created. And, like, that's probably what it is more than, like, outright copying. Yeah, I don't think it's a situation where it's, like, Kimba and The Lion King. I think there's oh, just yeah, similar... Yeah, <laughs> there's similar... There's probably similar stories out there. It's a very, very, uh... Kind of standard, I guess, love story in a way, but with some um, extra stuff to it. But, uh... Like you said, there's there's a like almost every story's been done now, so it's hard to do uh, variations and like something that's truly original. So there's a lot of places that a lot of creators draw inspiration from different places a lot. Mm. All right then. Uh, All right. Uh, so the last movie on the list. Oh, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, go for okay. it. Okay. Uh, so the last movie on the list is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's directed by Martin McDonough, um, who is a famous Irish playwright, uh, also director of Seven Psychopaths and In Bruges. Uh, it tells the story of Francis McDormand, um, who is a um, uh, who is the mother of a teenage uh, rape victim who was also killed. Um, and she buys three dilapidated billboards outside of her town of Ebbing, Missouri, uh, that essentially, um, uh, accuse the police of not, to, of, like, not working her case. Um, 
uh, and all of the kind of like fallout that comes from uh, all, all of the fallout that comes from that. Uh, some, you know, <clears throat> she she have, runs into problems with Sam Rockwell as a racist cop um, who is widely considered to have uh, tortured someone in a in a tortured a, a black guy in a, like a when when he was being questioned, um, and then. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Woody Harrelson, who plays the police chief that she is accusing of kind of not following through on this case's investigation, uh, who is dying of cancer. Um, uh, I don't really like that movie all that much. Same. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, I I loved it. It was it was like the only movie of of the set of these that I cried during. Oh wow! Yeah, this really? is this wow. is about to be red player, blue player because I loved that film too. Oh, uh, let's go! <laughs> I didn't think I, you know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to. There are there are a lot of takes on the internet that are talking about it being bad, um, specifically in the way that it portrays Sam Rockwell. Um, a lot of people there. are kind of saying that, like, why are you giving a redemption arc to like a racist cop in 2017? You know what I mean? Like, how tone deaf can you be, or whatever? I, and and I think that's a bad take. I think that's shitty. Yeah. But I well, I think to some degree because like. I, I take issue with that statement, not because I think we should give redemption arcs to shitty people, but because I don't think his actions have redeemed him. Like, See, that's the other thing. I, I think, think, I think the movie insanely brutally punishes him for his actions, right? Um, like, he's scarred for life, you know yeah. what I mean, coming out of it, uh, or whatever. And, and I think that that's failed. pretty like, simplistic. He's not only scarred for life, but he failed. It yeah. did not yeah. work. Yeah, that's, yeah. yep, yep. That's true. Um, that's that's kind of actually something I appreciate about this movie is that like, no one was really right, right? Like, if if every like if everything that the chief police chief says about uh like the case is true, then he's not like you know, and the movie doesn't tell us otherwise. He's not at fault, right? Like sometimes crimes just can't be solved because there's not enough evidence to point it anywhere. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. is in a way kind of like an. Inc- incredibly kind of like a obnoxious maybe selfish thing for her to do but that's okay sometimes right and, and the resolution of or like you know like kind of the, the trailing off point of this movie isn't them actually getting justice it's them going to kill someone who maybe was also a rapist it, it was it was um the, the movie wasn't like afraid to like portray everybody as like having their faults while still like like it felt kind of real in the same way that Lady Bird felt real. Mm-hmm. Um, no one's perfect, but it, it felt like the darker side of that. Where, like you know, um, uh, you know, despite all their intentions, they're still flawed characters. Supposedly, which is the other way around. Which is despite all their flaws, they are um, good people. Um, but it's it's the same kind of end state. Uh, you know, like uh, what was what was the other thing I was gonna bring up? Like, um. Uh, like I, I cried during his during uh, Willoughby's kind of suicide note. Like I, th- I thought that was incredibly moving, um, and it's kind of like disconnected from like what the events of the movie were in, in a in a way that like made it feel like you know like sometimes things happen outside of like you know what's what what's real like, not what's real but like what what what's kind of like the thing that's important to the main character 
isn't necessarily what's important to all the other characters, even though that's like that's usually how a movie goes. And I thought this was this was like a a, a really cool, uh, a re- really interesting way to kind of capture that. Yeah, see, Willoughby's suicide note kind of fucked with me a little bit because, like, I actually think I was on board with that right up until the end when he talked about it being like a master chess move or whatever, and I was just like, oh. Fuck you. Like, ah. <laughs> not, and not fuck you yeah. to him. Fuck no, you to the, the writing. movie. You yeah, know what I mean? Writing. Like, oh, yeah. God. I just thought Definitely. that was so uh, – I, I hated that. I also – like, like the reason that this, that I am that I am lukewarm on this movie, I guess, is that I also thought there was just, like, a lot of shit like that in the movie that just, like, really like, – like, all of her, like, little monologues or whatever, like, her monologue to the fucking priest – or whatever about like bloods and crypts and like you know people abusing like like Zach. Catholic priests abusing kids or whatever. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, see, see was I, I was okay with that because this is another example of her being wrong, right? Like that that, that was that was kind of my my read on it. Uh, you know, I I guess I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed very like self important in a way uh, that I didn't I mean, really want to. I don't know. Engage with, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, I, I mean, I agree with Mango that. Uh, oh, I agree with Mango that yeah, like that stuff. Like she she gets a lot of time to talk and make her point clear, and all that really does is keep digging the ditch of how in the wrong place she is about dealing with this. Um, you know, and again, saying the wrong place, like, is kind of a misnomer, because, like, I think the real point of the movie is that, like, nobody knows what they should be doing, and there is no answer, right? Like, how this mother should be grieving, how Sam Rockwell should deal with the fact that he's a horrible fucking person. Like, nobody knows how to deal with how shitty they are. Um, and that's kind of the point. Uh, I mean, it's very human in that regard. Yeah, like, like the, um, like, I, I think this comes out the best with, like, the, 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 the shitty, the, the shitty ex-husband, right? Like, like, they have a scene where, like, he's an asshole and he physically assaults Yeah, the I mom. love that scene, by the way. I love that scene. And, and then they just put the table back up and they have a real conversation yeah. after that, right? Like, you know. Yeah, that's like terrible, but that's sometimes how reality is, and, mm. and I, I appreciated it from that that vantage point. Um, I mean, also like there are scenes like that in the movie that really characterize everyone in a more animalistic way. Like, what is everyone's gut reaction to horrible moments? Uh, like, one man is assaulting a guy's mother, and does he pull the knife on his father? Like, what, like, how is that yeah. situation? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, uh, uh, I don't know. It didn't, it, I guess it just, it didn't, it didn't work for me in that way, which sucks because I actually really like Imbruges. I think Imbruges is, is, um, like one of those, like, like this gets tossed around or whatever, but like, it is like one of those, like, modern classics that I feel is like gonna hold up and people are gonna be like teaching this in the same way that they teach, like, you know, Annie Hall or whatever um, in film courses kind of like down the line. And I even, I, I even like Seven Psychopaths a whole bunch. 
Um, but um, I don't know. And it's not even it's not even that there was like I can almost kind of get into a movie like Dunkirk to a certain extent when like none of the characters are really that relatable or emotionally accessible because it's not really the point of the movie. Like obviously Christopher Nolan doesn't care about emotionally connecting you to these people. What the, the disconnect here was is I kind of felt as though I was supposed to be connecting emotionally um, with uh, these these characters and I wasn't. Um, and so like, that's kind of where like the, that's kind of like where I missed the mark. Um, like, like that scene with Francis McDormand in the deer or whatever. Oh um, yeah. That was bad. The deer, yeah, the deer I, looked I, terrible. The deer and, looked and I want to say terrible. that I'm actually like incredibly like, like, I don't want to say predisposed to a certain extent, but I am predisposed to that sort of thing working. Like, uh, like in, okay. So, um, like so we have we we got it we got a cat named orion right he was a stray outside of our apartment building and i frequently see his mother right the the stray cat that very likely is orion's mother right and i do understand that kind of like weird like connection you can get sometimes just with like an animal because of what it is you know what i mean like i really understand what the movie was going for uh but for some reason i just couldn't quite i don't know i just i couldn't quite connect the synapses in my brain to get me to feel any kind of like empathy or or identity with any of these characters um and you know i don't know so yeah that's 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 three billboards i guess or whatever yeah yeah um so you know recommendation from two not so much from the, the, other uh, the two. other two yeah <laughs> uh, so uh i guess <laughs> we're gonna move into final thoughts um i know warren you wanted to talk about uh, Warren want to talk about you? You think that mother got a snub for this? Yeah. Oh can yeah. We, can we break that down a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's talk about how much the Academy definitely hates that mother exists. Uh, no, because let's be real here. There, even if you told, even if the Academy was like, no, like this, like f- fuck the director. You don't you don't get any kind of credentials for this. They had hard hitting actors and actresses like putting their shit into this film and not getting any kind of recognition that is shocking in a general's like that it was completely shut out of the Oscars you don't think there I mean I I don't know because I feel like there have other been movies that are snubbed but like I guess it was snubbed of everything like even Silence last year got a best cinematography even though even uh, that got something but I also think that Silence is a way better movie than Mother. Okay, well, I'm not going to so, argue so about you, that. So part. you think? Do you think Mother is good? Like, are you coming to bat I, for Mother? I think my thing is that, like, uh, I, I think the moniker of good for a movie kind of lessens, like, more of what it does as an experience. Because let's be real here, I don't ever want to watch Mother again. Like okay. that movie was incredibly stressful, just anxiety ridden, and just I, it was horrifying. And I don't. I'm the only thing I want to watch again is Kirsten Wig shoot a guy in the head. That's the only thing I want to see again uh, because that's amazing. Um, but uh, I, it's but it's an experience. Like really, the big thing to me is that like that movie, unlike most movies that I watch, was an experience that I'm not used to. Right, like I watched three billboards, and yeah, it was shocking at times, but like it was normal. Shape of Water, yeah, there's a fish man you have sex with, but it's still like it's a monster movie. I watch those like again and again and again. Most of the movies you see every year, 
like it's you you know how you're going to react to some degree like this isn't a different experience for you in a theater however mother is a different experience at least for me personally when it came to watching a movie in the theater i definitely agree um, with that i mean it, it it shares a lot of dna i would say with a lot of like experimental art house movies or whatever that i watched in college like with in like film class or whatever but like yeah um it is, it is, is not that, something that I see. It's not something that I see in theaters. Is, is that difference enough to carry it to worthiness um, for for consideration by the Academy? Like, uh, do uh, I think that is hmm? Like uh, uh, you know, just to kind of like push this to its theoretical limit. If I or if if uh, if you made a movie that was. All it was was just like a weird, different experience. I don't know what that looks like, but it was that. But it wasn't really a quality film in any other way. Would it be worth consideration by the Academy just on the merits of its difference? See, I mean, because I I do think that there are aspects of Mother that are quality, um, right? Like, I think that uh, – and, and I think there are aspects of Mother that are bad. Like, I think the cinematography in Mother is really bad and boring um, just kind of because it's so – uh concerned it all it does is are these pov shots behind jennifer lawrence's head following her through the like through the the house or whatever and i understand what they're going for and what that's getting at but that was just like incredibly trite to me um i i took that as really stressful um like because like the movie like basically that whole choice was to give you to try to make you more aligned empathetically with jennifer lawrence's character going through this sequence of events and it just left me really unnerved and stressed out so i thought that choice was correct for what that movie was going for interesting i definitely get i like i do think that that helped i think it was just that it was the like it's kind of the only shot of the film there were a couple of other yeah, ones I mean, right but right like it just felt like it was the only thing and i was and i and there were times it's almost a little bit like cloverfield um like yeah, cloverfield yeah. i think is a good movie but because of the way that it is shot i just like can't watch it do you know what i mean yeah, um yeah. and i think it's a little bit of the same make you physically ill I mean, in the theater, it made me physically ill. Yeah, I hated it in the theater. But, like, over time, I've eventually kind of, like, come to terms with, with like, that or whatever. But, like, um, I think there – it, it's the same sort of thing where, like, really boring or bad cinematography, which I guess I can't say there's any in the Oscars. I don't really think Three Billboards was anything to, like, go crazy about. But at least these are, like, competent. Um, but something like um, – I don't know something like Suicide Squad, maybe. Uh, it's just like really bad. It's just like really not well shot, right? That like uh, I, I got the same feeling out of Mother from from that. Um, I think you meant to say uh, Academy Award Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I also think that forget, I also think that the allegory was super uh, was super on the nose, and uh, and that's something that like bothered people. It wasn't cloaked in anything, right? Like typically the allegory, right? Like you know, Man of Steel is a is a Jesus allegory or whatever, right? But like at least it's cloaked in this story about like Superman versus Zod, right? So it's not like the only thing the movie is about, but Mother is just an allegory. There's no, you know what I mean? There's no, like, framing device for that allegory, so it's kind of not really hanging off of anything, which is, I think, uh, that's part of my problem with Mother. I think I'm a little bit up on Mother compared to other people because uh, uh, I specifically like what it has to say about the creative process uh, that I think is kind of, like, 
unique and interesting. People get caught up on the environmental metaphor because that's obviously what Darren Aronofsky talks about um, and the Bible stuff because the Bible stuff is the root of it. Uh, but I actually think there's a lot to be said for kind of like imagining um, imagining this just in terms of like this is a poet trying to create a work of art and how hard and tough that is not just for him but for the people around him yeah how destructive the very act of creating for certain artists is Um, yeah or depending upon the work right because to some degree it's not just his process but just what he wants to create does this yeah uh like that that's really the issue is that what he wants to achieve is what causes everything yeah so, like, I ultimately come down on the point of view that Mother is not very good, but I think that there's more in there. Uh, that there that there is good stuff in there to to at least uh, to at least highlight. So, uh, I also feel like Darren Aronofsky kind of had his day. I mean, like Black Swan was was great. Got got. I guess it didn't win, but it got nominations. It won Natalie Portman an Oscar stuff like that. So it's like um, I think he's he's fishing still a little bit for. Uh, I want to talk about Blade Runner 2049. Oh, I want to talk about Blade Runner 2049. I think this is the biggest snub of the Oscars, to be honest. Yeah, I I I think it not getting a Best Picture nomination is super fucked up and super bad, and I'm mad about it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's the Academy's, it's the Academy's immediate dismissal of science fiction. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, That's just all it is. Like, if you look at all of these films, uh... I mean, Shape I mean, of Water is a little bit. Well, no, right, right? I mean, and Arrival last year was directed by the same guy. Um, but it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that some of these uh, directing nods are here, and we didn't get one for Denis Villeneuve. Like, I, I was thinking maybe it would be something kind of like a reverse Argo, where it doesn't get a Best Picture nomination, but it does get a directing one, right? Like. Um, and it could have very easily, like, even, like, Lady Bird, right, like, I wouldn't say Lady Bird was a very well-directed picture, right, like, Lady Bird was well-written, and I think the acting was good, right, but I, but it wasn't, a, like, I wouldn't call Greta Gerwig's direction, right, something that is, like, Oscar-worthy, um, uh, so yeah, I think Blade Runner 2049 is the biggest snub of this. I agree. No, it is going to get, uh, apparently, uh, I mean, or not apparently, but probably everybody knows that it's going to get the best cinematography uh, for Roger Deakins, finally, after like 14 bazillion snubs uh, <laughs> I mean, over his insanely degree. storied career. I mean, like, he, like, it's not like he doesn't fucking deserve it, right? Like, Yeah, could, right? Oh, man. Like, I could see maybe giving it to Darkest Hour, maybe, but, you know, and it's. I think it's a shame that, like, these other films that I thought had good cinematography have to go up against Blade Runner 2049, but there's, there's no other choice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's just so many things in that movie that are just like, like the, um, like I was reading an article about the, the robot sex scene or whatever, and about how hard that was to get on screen. Um, and like, man, like if it was just that scene, I feel like that would get it its best cinematography. Right? I, I, w- I, want, I want it to come back to theaters so I can see it in the, on the big screen again. Like, I, I only got to say, see it once. I want to see it again. Yeah. I, I, I love that fucking yeah. movie. Um, but, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe to finish this out, we can do either... Do you want to do predictions or, like, what our favorite movie is? Or maybe both. 
Um, unfortunately, Larry's uh, computer has broken, so we will not get his treasured opinion. But for the uh, the rest of us, let's go around the horn. Let's let's start with uh, you, buddy. What's your what's your favorite? What do you think is your most likely to win, and maybe your least favorite and least likely to win? Uh, that's a good question, man. What is my favorite? I, you know, I want to say that my favorite is Get Out, but I actually think that I kind of talked myself into my favorite being The Post out of all of these. Um, uh, which is funny. I, Steven Spielberg directed a movie like this called Bridge of Spies two years ago that I love, actually, that I thought was really awesome. And I was initially kind of thinking about and talking about The Post as being like the, um, as, as being Bridge of Spies, but worse. Um, but I don't know. I've kind of talked myself into really liking the the post uh, a lot more. But uh, man, now you know. Now that I actually put that into words, no, it has to be Get Out. I think Get Out is my uh, is my favorite of all of these. Um, just the way that it puts uh, like these really big philosophical ideas on screen, right? Like W B uh, W E B Du Bois. Um, uh, double consciousness, right, um, and uh, and the difference between explicit and implicit racism, right? Like all of this stuff is stuff that I just like. I, it was so co- it was so cool to see those things translated uh, so directly. Um, but uh, my favorite to win is definitely uh, the Shape of Water. Um, I think the Shape of Water is. Uh, you know, Guillermo del Toro is super talented. I think the Academy has been looking to reward his talent um, for quite a long time. Uh, and this is just a really easy, uh, straight, you know, right, right across the finish line, uh, way to, way to do that. Um, I think that he will actually split. I think, I think that best picture will split with best director going to Jordan Peele, um, and then, uh, uh, best picture going to Shape of Water. Uh, Warren? Or did yeah. you want to? Do, did you want to do your least favorite, buddy? Or? Oh shit! Well, oh yeah, my least favorite. Uh, what's my least favorite, man? Ugh. Uh, see, I see. I actually kind of liked "Call Me by Your Name" because even though it's like super like small or whatever, at least like the visuals were engaging. And I kind of think, oh, you know what? Actually, no. My least favorite is "The Phantom Thread." Uh, I was gonna say "Lady Bird" because I was super unengaged in that movie too. Um, but uh, but yeah, "Phantom Thread" was really unengaging, and uh, and even though it has some of the bigger stuff that I that I am typically like looking for, right? Like it's trying to make bigger statements about kind of um, uh, the nature of relationships or whatever. I don't know, just that stuff. That stuff did not work for me. Paul Thomas Anderson is not my guy. That's my least favorite. Uh, yeah, definitely. All right. Oh, Warren, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't necessarily feel great doing, like, least and best since I, I didn't see as many of these pictures as I would like, or at least a lot of the films that I ended up seeing this year didn't end up really getting, like, recognition. Um, uh, but, you know, I, 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 I really did like The Get Out. I think it'd be great if that got uh, – best picture um, out of like what I saw I mean like I, I love three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri but when it comes to that like I really enjoyed that film I enjoyed it a lot however I I don't I don't know if I look at that like it, it's it's a lot of performances that is the reason why I really enjoyed that film and so I guess I, I would rather see people get recognized for their performances in that film than the film itself just be heralded for the director or the story um, so I think I'd agree with Get Out but I, I don't I don't think Shape of Water should get like a best picture win like I just don't I just don't think that's right um, 
I mean, like, I love Guillermo del Toro, but, like, I, you know, I, I just, Shape of Water isn't it. He's got to make something else. All right. Wow. Well, uh, for, uh, yes, for, I told a director yeah. to keep making movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for for my own opinions, my favorite out of this list that I saw was definitely Darkest Hour. Uh, least favorite was definitely Call Me by Your Name. Um, but again, that's not like like an indictment against the film or anything. Um, uh, and in terms of uh, most like like most likely to actually win the award, um, see, like it feels like get out to me. I am probably the the worst going to be the worst at this because I don't. I'm not like super in tune with the Academy or anything, but get out in shape of order to me just feel like too outside of what the Academy normally gives awards to. Um, so I'd probably, I, I would probably guess it would go to like something like lady bird or three billboards, but I'm probably, I, like I said, the, the I, I think get out is too critical of the Academy. Cause like really the target of get out is kind of like, like well-meaning old white people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, at least in the sense that, like, there are there are three films here that almost always we would be like, oh, well, that's going to win. And that's Darkest Hours, Dunkirk, and The Post. Like, they are all politicized movies, right? They're all politicized, yeah. on the edge of propaganda, large budget, big hit names, punching in actor and actress. Why it's like these films, those three films are the ones you would always expect to win. But this is a weird year. Uh, because of things like the Shape of Water getting so much critical attraction and Get Out, and uh, yeah, uh, also, also, I know, I, I think you can't also uh, like discount the the effect that um, that the that kind of like the Harvey Weinstein revelations will have on kind of how people think they should be voting about these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah I feel that, that. That's a good point. Um, but yeah. Um, unless there's any other thoughts, I think it's about time to wrap it up. I think it's about time to wrap it up. <laughs> I just, I just want to say one thing. Go for because it. Because I think this every year, and everyone should think this, uh, the animated feature category is bollocks. Yes, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just, a travesty. Just fucking I know, bollocks. I wanted Lego Batman to be in there too, you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we should, um, there is a great, great YouTube video by, uh, Jeff Thu Mother's Basement, about why the Academy screws up the animated feature film every year. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend that. Maybe I'll put that in the description. Uh, I highly recommend everybody watch that. But yeah, I absolutely agree that the animated feature film is is, 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 is terrible. How is Boss Baby on this list? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I, I will say this. I'm glad the Breadwinner's on the list. If Breadwinner wins, I'll feel a bit better about the animated feature category, but Breadwinner's oh, yeah. not going to win. Coco's going to win, and no matter how much I cried during Coco, it does not deserve to win something. See, I didn't even, I didn't even see Coco. I wanted to just haven't gotten to it. Uh, uh, I guess there was just like more stuff, but yeah, I I, I missed Coco when it was in when it was in theaters because I guess it came out the same week as Justice League, and I would end up going to see Justice League twice instead of Coco yeah. once. What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went to see oh, Justice League the second time are, with buddy. Lauren. We know who. Yes, it was. We know who you are. <laughs> God damn it, buddy! Uh, what? What? <laughs> what do you want from me, Mango? It's the uh. first. It's the on-screen debut of Aquaman, man. What do you? What, what do you? What do you? What do you think? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. Anyway. Um, but, uh, but anyway, 
If you'd uh, like to write to us about what you think about the Academy Awards, you can write to us at SomeDervesPlayGames at gmail.com or podcast at SomeDervesPlayGames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash SomeDervesPlayGames. You can uh, rate us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on all the great places that podcasts are found. Rate us, review us. We love it. Um, send us comments. Uh, we will uh, talk about them if we see it, when we see them because you know, there's not many places to check. Um Warren, where can people find you, or if you want people to be able to find you? Uh, the place people can find me soon is uh, I work on Supermansion, which uh, will premiere on Crackle uh, in so many months. Uh, the third season will premiere on Crackle. I is work that, on is that, that show. With, is that with Stupid Buddies? Yes, that okay. is with Zeb Wells, creator, comic book guy. Oh, comic, wow. Yeah, I, I so, know Zeb Wells. Yes, uh, yeah, no, Zeb Wells is the creator of this show. For people who don't know, there is a comedy show that Zeb Wells created about superheroes who live in a mansion together. And, uh, yeah, Zeb Wells it. is Why a not? longtime writer for Robot Chicken, and Stupid Buddies is uh, is the studio that's been making Robot Chicken since season four or five. Zeb so, Wells uh, has also been a writer for many major comic books. Yeah, yeah. He's, is, it, uh, is, he's, it, is it like a modern take on Drawn Together? Uh, yes, except better... Because it's just superheroes, so things don't get weird and confusing and reference the 1920s that nobody knows about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay. Excellent. Um, Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to plug. Uh, Do do you know where Larry would want to be? You know, I do not offhand. I follow Larry on Twitter, so you can maybe follow him in my follows or something. We'll we'll make sure to put it in the description, both that and... uh, and the uh, the show that Warren was talking about. Uh, but in that case, I think it's time to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. Bye bye.